Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries. I'm your host, John, and this is my second episode for OSR October, and inspired heavily by Rob C's excellent podcast, Down in a Heap, I'm going to be looking at one of my favorite OSR supplements today, and that is Magical Industrial Revolution by Skirples. And in case you're not aware, Skirples is the creator of the Coins and Scrolls blog. There'll be a link to that in the description of this episode. And he's also put out a number of things on Drive Through RPG. In this case, I'm talking about Magical Industrial Revolution, which is described as a pre-apocalyptic setting guide. It's about Atlantis before the tide turned, Hyperborea before it banished between dimensions, which I found quite interesting. We're used to the idea of post-apocalyptic supplements, you know, the bombs dropped, there's been a magical apocalypse, Atlantis has sunk, whatever, and we're playing in the, the ruins of the aftermath and trying to sift through the debris of ancient empires that have gone before in order to make a better future. Whereas... This book, Magical Industrial Revolution, proposes that we play in the setting sort of running up to and maybe into the start of a Magitech-based apocalypse. And what this book offers, like I said, this isn't going to be a detailed review, but what this book offers is essentially eight different strands of magical technology which would have a profound effect on any game world and we are given guidelines as to how each of these technologies if mismanaged could potentially lead to the apocalyptic scenario that we are so used to in many rpg settings so i'm not going to go through all of them they're all very interesting but i'm just going to touch on a few highlights of the supplement and maybe sort of delve a little bit deeper into one or two of these example scenarios before i do though apologies if you can hear the rain in the background it's thrashing it down here but we'll persevere anyway okay so first of all one of the additional differences between Magical Industrial Revolution and some other supplements is that it proposes a sort of mechanization or industrialization of magic. Normally magic is depicted in most, not all, but most sort of fantasy and OSR settings as I suppose more of like a cottage industry or something that's passed down from master to apprentice. You know, the strange old hermit who lives out in the cave, he takes a, an apprentice on once every 100 years or it's a secret society who can only pass on their knowledge to the very few who have that arcane spark within their soul. Whereas in a magical industrial revolution, the magic is depicted as more sort of being handled in the similar way to how technology is being handled in the real world. It's been become automated. It's become industrialized. There are factories churning out sort of low-level magic items and stuff like that, particularly in the, the sort of proffered city, Endon, which is offered in the book. And that's sort of very much portrayed as being on the cutting edge. You know, it's where all the latest fashions are, where all the cool sort of people hang out, where you can basically get whatever you want if you've got enough money. 
And that includes this Magitech. They're on the burgeoning frontier of this industrialization of magic. Now, I might hear you say, But John, in the past, haven't you said that you don't like magic item shops and stuff like that? So how come you're now getting all misty-eyed over this magical industrial revolution? Isn't that just the same thing? And to that I would say, I see your point, but that's not really why I dislike magic item shops in games i have no problem with the idea of magic being industrialized as long as you sort of lean into the fact that that is going to have a far wider implications for your setting whereas certainly the games i've played in i can only talk of my own experience when i've played in games where there are magic item shops they don't seem to have any effect on the rest of the setting. It's generally still the sort of pseudo-medieval fantasy environment that we're used to in many a D&D game. Whereas if you can pop into any shop and buy healing potions, scrolls and stuff like that, and yes, okay, they might be expensive if they're out of the reach of many sort of peasants and stuff like that, but even the fact that they're available to, to richer people, to adventurers, stuff like that, would have a great effect on the setting. I mean, look at the fact that if uh, even fairly low-level healing potions are available, that would cure many sort of diseases that were common in the, the medieval times that a lot of D&D games take a sort of squinted inspiration from. And But often that's not really sort of portrayed in games, whereas Magical Industrial Revolution is all about the potentially devastating effects that industrialising magic could have on a setting. And I think that's very intriguing and very worthwhile exploring in a game. And the way Skirples handles this in the supplement is they offer eight innovations that are currently in progress in Endon, and I'll go into what those are a bit later, but each of these innovations have six stages according to the book. The initial innovation, public introduction, widespread adoption, scope alteration as people begin to adapt the technology for other things, the height of ambition, and then finally, terminal events. And just a quote from the book here, it says, an innovation at stage one has minimal effect on the setting. An innovation at stage six has reached an apocalyptic climax and has probably ruined the lives of everyone in Endon or the entire world. You don't have to use all the innovations listed or feel free to create your own. And the idea is that every season or year or whatever interval you decide is appropriate, you roll 1d6 for each innovation. And if the number is greater than the innovation's current stage, it moves on to the next stage to represent the sort of ebbs and flows and the advancements of these various magical technologies but as the author says you don't have to work all of the innovations into this if you don't want to you are free to pick and choose and change the rates of advancement as you see fit to match the particular needs of your game but the author is also keen to point out that if you bring some of these innovations and these pre-apocalyptic ideas in, you are effectively putting your setting at risk. After all, whatever destroys the city, region or entire planet will be previously unprecedented in the history of your campaign world. And even if this apocalyptic scenario only destroys Endon, how many times have we seen in fantasy literature or other RPGs when someone will go to a place where ancient technology or magic was reputed to be before it was destroyed by the creator's hubris, 
but there's always something left in the ruins that has the potential to continue these ideas in some manner and perhaps cause future devastating events. We get a breakdown of how Endon is organised as a city in the book, and it seems to me very much reminiscent of a city on the sort of cusp of this industrial revolution. And then we get to the innovations themselves. The first being Miles Moving Miracles, which is effectively a form of tra high-speed transit using magic. Room to Live, which is using extra-dimensional spaces to create additional domiciles shops etc in a city without actually increasing the amount of real world land that is used a world without roads where teleportation becomes a preferred method of travel true polymorph where wizards sort of industrialize means of changing one creature to another next we have a peaceful city where the initial innovation is that a criminal is caught with the aid of a scrying orb. And as that sort of becomes more and more prevalent, it can essentially lead to like thought police and people being arrested for crimes before they've actually committed them, a la films like Minority Report. Next, we have a Conjured Workforce. And these are mages capable of conjuring undead, constructs stuff like that as effectively a disposable workforce and we only have to look at how mechanization changed the working environment in the real world to understand what an impact that's going to have on various trades we then have number seven coal and iron which talks about innovations in geomancy and alchemy changing materials into more precious or useful ones and finally, we have number eight, the power of creation, where mages start evolving animals and other creatures and uplifting them into sentience. And if you've ever read any science fiction where that's the sort of central theme, you'll know that that doesn't always end well for the people doing the uplifting or the animals that have been uplifted. Each of these innovations is broken down into the stages that I described earlier. And I'm going to take a look at just one of these innovations in detail. And we're going to look at Room to Live, where Endon is crowdy, it's dirty, it has slums. And in this situation, a woman called Gloria Eastbrook wants to add a room to a small but quite affordable home. Without a room to maneuver or to expand outwards, she summons a portable room it's an old spell well used and well tested you know your portable hole your rope tricks stuff like that soon her friends and neighbors loving the idea all want rooms of their own so the initial innovation is Gloria sort of setting up this spell with the public introduction a crew of apprentice wizards work day and night under Gloria's uh, tutelage to provide portable rooms to the rich and famous. And we get some details of how that would work in terms of the system. Stage three, widespread adoption. As demand rises, costs fall. Imitations appear on the market, all producing their own portable rooms of various quality. And the novelty starts to quickly wear thin as it just becomes like an everyday thing. We then get into the next stage of scope alteration, where factories and industry magnets start 
expanding their operations using these portable rooms putting portable rooms within portable rooms stuff like that water levels in the rivers start to fall as hidden reservoirs and tanks siphon water off and entire industries migrate indoors vanishing into veritable mazes and labyrinths of portable rooms at stage five, at the height of ambition, the city's area hasn't changed. In fact, the city has shrunk slightly, but the population has doubled and possibly tripled. No one's exactly sure how many people live in the city because it's incredibly difficult, if not impossible, to map out this maze of portable rooms. Criminals vanish into the reaches of unmapped mazes and theft and crime reaches epidemic levels. Explorers from the Ministry of Finance trying to find untaxed settlements report that some portable rooms are joining together unexpectedly as the magics start to interact with each other. Rumours of isolated buildings exist. If a portable room fails, rare but possible, the contents are massively expelled into the next available room. Normally that's the real world, but stories about people just vanishing into unknown dimensions and strange spaces start to spread throughout Endon. And finally... Stage 6, the terminal event. Loose or defective portable room spells breed and fester. Anything with a door, hinge or flap can become infested with extra-dimensional volume. People start stepping through doors in the city, never knowing where they are going to come out. Rooms disappear, collide or occasionally disgorge their contents into other rooms. The spells keep breeding and spreading even as officially portable rooms are outlawed and soon no doorway closet drawer or entry space is safe and no one knows how they are going to travel across the city with any degree of surety we get a little note finally on averting this apocalypse and the best way of doing that is to convince the masses that portable rooms are unsafe or getting them banned before you get to that final stage failing that developing spells that cancel them out or if you just want to ride it out making your own fortress and proofing it against the ever spreading portable rooms is one way to go and as i say that's just one of the innovations that's featured in the book there are another seven and i think using the magical industrial revolution you could pretty much use those sort of guidelines and those ideas to spin off your own magical innovations in the same sort of vein using the same sort of format and in fact Skirples encourages you to do that as well as providing a handy sheet at the back of the book where you can track the various innovations and it has a sort of I suppose like a cheat sheet version of the rules for the advancement of the innovations and some tips and tricks on how to run them but genuinely I think this is a fascinating supplement that looks at an area of DD and old school games that isn't really very often explored so taking industrialization of magic to its logical degree and also allowing us to play around in the run-up to in this case a magical apocalypse rather than sort of us coming in after the apocalypse has already happened there are a few other osr games that deal with a run-up to an apocalypse but certainly the post-apocalyptic seems to be more common, which is, I think, a bit of a shame because you can't get more heroic than stopping an apocalypse and potentially you can't get more horrifying than finding out there isn't a way to avert the apocalypse 
and you've just got to save who and what you can as the world falls to pieces around you. And I think that this supplement embodies one of the, the joyous things about the OSR for me, where someone, as I said in my previous episode, has taken an aspect of the setting or the sort of ideas of the system that interests them, and then they've really sort of dialed that up to 11 and explored that in a supplement. So if you're at all interested in this, I advise you to check it out. It's on RPG. I'll put a link to it in the description of this show. If you'd like to get in touch and tell us what your favourite supplement is for the OSR or just to have a chat about Magical Industrial Revolution or anything else to do with the OSR, then you can get in touch a number of different ways. You can drop us a voicemail message on SpeakPipe or Anchor. Again, links in the description of the show notes. Or you can send us an email to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. So until we see you again, take care, stay safe, and whatever you're playing, have fun. 